But people see everything through a certain pr uh, prism, you know. So yeah. I try to point out that not the difference is not because I try to prove that I'm different, but to prove that I have something special, you know, in my culture as well. Yeah. So, uh, so um, I think that's really important. In this episode, I'm talking to Banjura player Bogdan Shutka. Bogdan, it's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. Likewise. Um, and you play a very interesting um, instrument, uh, the banjura. Yes, correct. Uh, I can actually show it if you'd like. Uh, yes, please. That would be great. I will, if it's okay, I will not play today because I, I took a two-week uh, break. Yeah. Uh, because I have some big concerts coming up and I'd like to cleanse my mind and fingers a bit before. Uh, but I'll yeah, grab it. Fine. Yeah. So this is my one of my two beauties. Wow, is that beautiful? Oh, that is beautiful. Can you mm -hmm. just pluck one string? I want to hear the sound of it. Of course, I'll pluck more than one. Let me okay. just disconnect my microphone. Can you hear it well? Yeah. instrument it's not something that um that you see in, in orchestras every day um can you tell me more about it yes of course so the instrument has a really long tradition in the territory of ukraine it yeah. was played on since around the seven centuries when we have the first written written um, mention of the instrument and it was in the Greek and Arabic chronicles of travelers passing through Ukraine. And they noticed this instrument, which they couldn't describe what it was, so they called it Pandora. Oh, I see. And that's where the name Pandora comes from. So the instrument itself is uh, developed from a smaller one, which is more in a form of a, of a wing, like this. Yeah. Uh, within time, it was used to accompany singing of psalms religious songs and so on and within time it was uh, used to uh, more in popular culture and the high point of this was during the cossack era uh, the so-called ukrainian cossack baroque cossack cossackske uh, baroko so the baroque music of uh, the ukrainian uh, as soon as the uh, cossacks became more settled in throughout the 17th century the instrument became the court instrument of choice for leaders like Ivan Mazepa, you might know from several musical and literary works of his name, uh, from um, Victor Hugo, from um, Liszt wrote a whole poetic uh, musical poem on uh, Mazepa, Tchaikovsky wrote a, so it was a, a part of the popular culture. And at that time also the instrument uh, became more shaped to a Western lute. Okay. Which is why nice. also this double, it's more of a representation out of a practicality that the double head tends to break. Uh, I had the strings from this one taken off. Yeah. But this is a, this is a Baroque thing you see in the Baroque instruments of Western Europe. 
main difference between a bandura and a lute, though, is that a bandura is carved out of one piece of wood. Oh, I see. Okay. Which gives it a very specific sound compared to that of a lute, which was built in such a way that the richer the musician, the more or the one who um, commissioned it, the more uh, ribs it had. Okay. So if you say it's carved out of one piece of wood, that means um, if you turn it around, so it it was hollowed out on the inside. Correct. And this had to do with several reasons. Uh, first of all, the instrument was played primarily by peasants from a certain point. And of course, in, in the Russian-controlled Ukraine, where the instrument came from, meaning the Russian Empire, uh, the instrument, they did not have the materials, you know, the glues, yeah. the, the, um, the capacity to build such complex instruments, so which is why they carved them out of themselves. And each musician was supposed to, after three years of study on the instrument, after three years, he was allowed to play it first. He had to study for his repertoire. He had to follow his musician, which were mostly blind men. It was a tradition kept by blind musicians. By blind musicians? Yes, the instrument was played primarily by blind people. And why is that? Uh, I guess, and to a certain extent, First of all, the, you know, everybody back then needed a career as well. Yeah. And in the Ukrainian mythology, uh, Ukrainian folk culture, blind people were seen as someone who had specific, uh, special connection to God. Oh, I see. Because, because blind people, uh, blind persons, uh, they were not able to see all the evil that went on in the world. <laughs> so they were seen as especially pure. And of course, out of a medical point of view, Many people back then uh, had cataracts, for example, you know, and other diseases which made them blind as well. Also, um, measles, I believe is the name of one of these that uh, led to blindness. And these people needed a, needed a career option out of yeah. a purely modern economical point of view, I can say that. So um, the instrument was carried out mostly through blind people, but in the 19th century during uh, during all of the laws forbidding the public usage of Ukrainian language in the Russian Empire, the instrument became sort of, uh, became very, and the people who played it were beaten often, their instruments were broken by the Russian police, because their, uh, their music was purely, um, on one hand they had the sacral music, the Ukrainian uh, psalms, variations, songs about the truth and the untruth, a lot of these different uh, moral stories they were passing through. And on the other hand, they had, uh, so of course the ruling elites did not like this, you know. And on the other hand, they were preserving the history, the culture of the people through the stories of the uprising, the farmer and Kozak uprising against the first uh, the, um, Ottomans, Turks, then against the Poles, and then finally against the Russian elites. So, um, this led to the fact that instrument was really bent to decline and was almost brought back from death uh, beginning of the 20th century okay. when it gained much momentum but then of course during the third uh, 20s it flourished it went from about seven people who actually played it professionally in 1904 to a total of over 900 orchestras with this instrument alone 
1920 around. And in 1930, Stalin persecuted the musicians again. There was an even so-called uh, gathering of 300 of uh, these Kobzars, they were called, uh, and they were all executed at once. Now, we do not know to what extent this event happened as such at once, but we do know that there was many death orders for many of these musicians. Because the instrument had a very sacred meaning to the Ukrainian nation. Okay. Mm. But now, um, so how old were you when you started to, or when you discovered that you wanted to play this instrument? Since I can remember. Really? And I have a picture of myself with the statue of this instrument in our hometown, Ivano-Frankivsk. It's former Galicia, former Austria. There's a monument to a, a cymbal player, the, the dulcimer, uh, and a bandura player. So in my region, the dulcimer was an instrument of choice. And this had many reasons. One of the reasons was we had connections to Euro Western European cities where they had piano manufacturers. Of course, they made, of course, metal strings as well, and they had uh, metal pegs and better quality glues and materials so they could build something uh, to uphold the pressure of that. Whereas a bandura until the turn of the century was use, uh, using primarily catgut strings, which is typical also for the violin until I believe 1890 some. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a statue and we used to go to my grandmother's house who lived on the other side of the street by foot. Every weekend we would spend at the grandmother. And I remember the statue from well, since I was, since I can remember anything. And I always said I wanted to play this instrument. That is so wonderful that you had that um, desire from that age, from such a young age. And now, is it was it then um, uh, um, easy to get somebody to teach you the instrument? Uh, yes and no. I mean, getting someone to teach you the instrument was easier than getting the instrument itself. Because there's a really big decline of in, uh, since 1990, there hasn't really been many manufacturers who've been making it. There's around maybe 30, 35 to 40,000 instruments in the world, which for a country of, I mean, there's 60 million Ukrainians in the world. That puts it into perspective. Now, we, when I was eight years old, we emigrated to the United States. A year later, a Bandura teacher uh, emigrated as well. And I started learning with her. And then I started commuting to Toronto from Buffalo, New York, where I lived every weekend. And I started learning in Toronto, but I had luck that my teacher was extremely famous and an extremely good teacher. And he opened this whole new world of, you can say, I call it Ukrainian Baroque and Ukrainian Renaissance music. Renaissance, not in the sense of pre-Baroque, Renaissance in the sense of this 1920s avant-garde Renaissance we had in Ukraine. Okay. And then I started, talking and communicating with, with people like Julian Ketasti in Berlin, in New York, who's really famous. Uh, teachers in Kiev, teachers in Ivano-Frankivsk. It's gotten to the point that at a certain point, I was the only active Bandura player in, I believe, in the German-speaking world. Until recently, there's there's been several ladies who fled uh, and men who played the Bandura who are now located in Vienna. They, they contacted me. Uh, because they, they they were fleeing in such a way that they didn't even grab their instrument. One of them only grabbed a pair of sweatpants and, and a jeans she had on, and she had to flee with her 15-year-old daughter. Instruments, everything is at home as soon as she heard the bombs falling next door. So, uh, you know, the history repeats itself. Um, 
I studied at the diplomatic academy and I studied at the at the um, Slavic studies. So my specialization is Eastern Europe, and I must say that I believe in some cases music is the best diplomatic tool there is, because um, you know how often I'm confronted with the question, "Is that a balalaika?" You know. Mm. I mean, disregarding the shape and everything in different countries and 3,000 kilometers distance, disregarding this, uh, you have to imagine that Balaika has three strings, my instrument has 70 strings. Oh, yeah, yeah. But people see everything through a certain pr uh, prism, you know? So yeah. I try to point out that not the difference is not because I try to prove that I'm different, but to prove that I have something special, you know, in my culture as well. Yeah. So, uh, so um, I think that's really important, you know, um, because it, it is repeating itself, you know, and we have the situation now we're in the occupied territories under Russian troops. I, I cannot even call them troops. Uh, they're destroying books. They're burning authors. They have lists of authors they have to burn. Uh, they're destroying instruments. They're just they're robbing museums and stealing everything. You know, today they stole over 3,000 articles from the Mariupol Museum. And took them out to Russia. That's it's a constant story of stealing, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, um, it, it breaks my heart because I know that my parents went through similar situations, and my grandparents were born in the Gulag for being who they are. And to see that happen again now, under the pretext of the great Russian culture. But if yeah. you look at this great Russian culture, you see that purely Russian people there are in a minority. You know, if you look at Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Prokofiev. Uh, uh, Chekhov, um, uh, Bulgakov, uh, and so on. They all were from the Ukrainian territories, but also there's Belarusians and, and other nationalities, and they all were forced to work under this great empire. And I think it's important to decolonize this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the Bandura is something so specifically Ukrainian, yeah. and it's so specifically Ukrainian because the Russians tried to destroy it. And I'm saying Russian on purpose because it didn't matter if it was a Russian empire, if it was Soviet Russia, or if it's Russia under Vladimir Putin. So I have something here in my hands uh, which cannot be taken away from us. Now tell me, um, uh, you were in America and, and you say now that your teacher there helped you and, and you could um, um, play and, and learn the instrument. Um, was it also the fact that it's uh, something very special that uh, drove you to carry on? Because, I mean, you, you must have had many obstacles apart from learning to play the instrument, uh, other obstacles as well um, that you have to, uh, to overcome. You know, I, uh, I never, well, it's an interesting situation because, like I said, if you play the, I started off with the violin when I was six and piano <laughs> when I was nine or ten. Um, and my teacher always told me, you can continue playing a violin and piano, and you must in order to have a proper musical education. I mean, I did not, I did not have the opportunity to visit a conservatory or the Bandura in Toronto. But he said, think of it this way. You're going to be 18 years old playing the violin, and there will be a child in China who will be playing 10,000 times better than you already. But you play an instrument which nobody plays, and it is both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because it you it opens your eyes to so many different things. It becomes your passport. You know, with the Bandura now, I travel once a month at least 
giving performances internationally. And I have the ability to be a cultural diplomat for my culture, specifically in my country as well. On the other hand, it is also a type of a curse because you have to repair the instrument partially yourself. A lot of things you have to take care of yourself. Uh, you know, there is a whole generation of Bandura players who were executed. So their works oftentimes, I have above me here, uh, books in my little small library here in Vienna. And you do have to practice, practice, practice and learn things partially yourself because nobody will show you, you know, that author, one of my favorite composers, he did not, was not able to uh, do everything. So we do have, for example, a three minute segment of him playing in a movie because he was also an actor. And through this, we try to recreate and see, you know, it is a lot of, to a large extent, it's mechanics and physics, but you have to get to his level. So it's like detective work, you know, it's also, uh, you notice sometimes that the music has been rewritten. Uh, oh, there was a mis mistake in the notes. So you, it's a discovery work. It's a, it's a, it's a project for a whole lifetime. So also now working full time, uh, it is becoming difficult, but it, this is not a work for me. This is a more of a, it's a passion, I would have to say, because, you know, and I do have two students now, and then I try to show them certain things, which I know already for, I've been playing for two decades now almost. Um, I try to show them certain things and their jaws drop in awe that there's such Ukrainian music that exists. You know, where you have a concerto for 15 banduras uh, and 30 male singers, for example, and I play them some of these old recordings from the 50s that I have on a, on a record player, on a, um, how do they call it, vinyl, uh, and it opens up a whole new world for them. You know, and it's something that still amazes me, but something I know, yeah. you know, and I see the importance in this. And now um, these students that you have, are they also, do they also have this um, passion that you have that they want to carry on and, and uh, carry this music on? Or do they just do well, it for interest? Uh, the passion comes with it with time. I noticed that one of my students, um, she's older, you know, she's not like the young boy who started out. I, I see her passion growing with every lesson. I also see how difficult the instrument is. You know, for me, it was never a question of difficulty. For me, I just practice. No, uh, maybe it's because I, I still grew, and it sounds silly because I'm so young, but I did not have a cell phone until I was 17 or 18. You know, so I did not, uh, parents didn't really love for video games and so on, neither did I want to have them. So I spent my free time practicing, you know, and thousands of hours of practicing and nothing seems difficult. But of course, when I'm playing with her, I'm questioning myself, how did I do that back then? You know? Really? Yeah. Because it is, it, it is a difficult instrument. Mm. Now, um, you said that not many people make these instruments. So um, uh, is this something that, uh, how do you think it will, you will be able to say, ha get that in the future? Is there a new uh, wave of younger people that are interested? There are, and there are people who repair instruments, who improve instruments, who take simpler instruments without the chromatic uh, keys that switch uh, automatically. I mean, semi-mathematically, uh, there are people who make that. Uh, on the other hand, I think there, there has been a great growth and interest in the Bandura. 
And I mustn't say that there are no makers of the instruments. Yeah. There, there are some. It's just that compared to the, you know, if, for example, if I wanted to get repair my instrument right now, there's only one person I can trust that I know in the world who would who would repair the instrument. And that involves driving 1,300 kilometers with the instrument, changing trains three times, and then coming back to pick it up. That's the difficulty I'm saying. Yeah. My dream would be if I save up enough money to, and I have the blueprints for all the instruments uh, that I like, is to take and get a nice flute maker in, in France, for example, or Italy, and commission that instrument with them. The difference is that money, 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 and time, time, time. But that's a project yeah. for the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have the wish and, and uh, the dream to do it and the aspiration to do it. So I think it will happen. You're still young. There's still many things that can happen. I am still young, but you know, if anything, these uh, these days have taught me these last weeks. I, it's you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. But now, um, so you have a concert now. You say you have a concert coming up in two weeks' time. Uh, tell me about this concert. So uh, most of my performances right now are just commissioned things. Uh, so the next one I'm playing. I don't want to spoil it yet because I'm still waiting for the contract. But yeah. the one after that, it, this one will be in Vienna. But the one after that will be at uh, my first Baroque and Old Music Festival, early yeah. music festival in Stockholm. And I'm hoping that this one will open up new doors for me. Uh, because I think this is, a, no, this is also another thing. Um, if I tell people I play a Ukrainian instrument, they automatically assume a Ukrainian dance with the big pants and jumping in the air and folk music. This is not folk music. Of course I can play folk, folk music, but I prefer to say I play authentic music, you know, the, the old, uh, authentic, but also I can also play Beethoven. I can also play Mendelssohn, we handle Brahms and so on. So this is not. This is just an undiscovered instrument in the West, you know. It does, it's not a it's not a folk instrument in the pure sense. This is uh, my teacher always taught me, and I agree with this highly. You're playing authentic music. Mm. There's a difference between, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, taking a an object and printing, I don't know, a mug and printing a Ukrainian ornament on it. That's folk, you know. But yeah. I, I hand uh, hand um, crafted pottery baked in the traditional ways that have been there for thousands of years, that's authentic for me. Yeah. And that is a big difference. And that also applies to the music. As to Vienna, you know, Vienna is a very difficult place for music, for newcomers. I think that's regular. It's like people say, if you make it in New York, you make it anywhere. The same with Vienna. If you tell someone in Vienna, you play Ukrainian instrument. I mean, until two months ago, they would have said, okay, you're not interested in folk music, you know. But you give them your repertoire, but if you don't do folk music, you know, whereas, you know, 30 kilometers outside, folk music is highly expired, even though, like I said, I do not play folk music, but this stereotypes, you know, if you come to Vienna, you have to have Mozart in your repertoire or something. Uh, but there's so many hundreds of composers you don't know about you, even I don't know about you. Do you, um, can you play then any music with that, with the bandura? Um, yeah. Can you? <laughs> Okay. So I have five octaves. Yeah. Uh, so only the piano only has one octave lower mm -hmm. and one octave higher. So okay. everything in between I have, I have double layer strings. I don't know if you can see it. It's two oh, layers yeah, of I strings. Have. Yeah. So it's like the black and white keys and I have 10 fingers. So I can do anything a piano can do. 
Okay, yeah. there are some difficulties that I wouldn't try. Maybe it's possible, but you know, I, my latest project has been, I've been taking Philip Glass and Avo Piat uh, music, piano or harp scores, and I just play them, play them. Of course, it's difficult, technically speaking, sometimes, because these instruments have not been written for, this yeah. music has not been written for the Bandura, but it's all possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing is now I am taking old harpsichord concertos from Dmitro Bortyansky, a Ukrainian uh, classical composer. Um, and I, I play them on the bandura. And the sound and the resonance yeah. is very similar to the harpsichord. Yeah, I can, I can imagine with the, with the strings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now when you, when you have to change your strings, for example, what, uh, where do you get these strings? Are they specific? So, I did get two sets of strings before uh, all of this happened, but in reality, you take guitar strings, works just oh, as fine. Mm -hmm. But you need to have the right size. So I have a special tool, I don't know what it's called. It measures the, the width of each string. And this, with this tool, I write it down and I go to the guitar store and I ask them if they have a string. Usually you have to buy a set of five or some stores do have specific ones. And depending on the instruments, of course, I have to shorten them. I take three fingers length past the peg, I cut it, then I have to unwhite, which is, it's a lot of technicalities that you yeah. have to know. For example, you have to know that the inner, inner if it's a wound string, the bass strings, the deeper strings, it has to have a, a, a hexagon uh, core. Otherwise, to take off the bronze, it has to be also be a bronze winding. There are different things like that. You know, so um, it's not that difficult. You know, people are very creative. The Ukrainian refugee Bandura players after World War II, uh, they started using metal strings for the first time and they, their fingernails are breaking because you play with fingernails. Yeah. So what they did, they went to the displaced person's camp's kitchen and they took the fish um, bones and yeah. they would glue the fish bones on their fingernails and pluck with that. So the human soul is a human kind, person is very creative. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, if there's a will, there's a way. Definitely. <laughs> oh. This is amazing. And now uh, these um, ladies that you said that came from the Ukraine without their instruments, um, are they uh, being uh, looked after and, and, and can they uh, play or, or, or have some? Um, well, one lady, for example, she is from Kiev. Her concert instrument, you know, we, like any good violinist or I don't mm -hmm. know, clarinet, we have several instruments usually. Yeah. So they usually have the child instrument they started with. So one lady, she was in, in Kiev. Uh, she fled with her son to, uh, without the instrument, just with the backpack to Zhytomyr. And then the Soviet uh, Russians started bombing Zhytomyr as well. But she did have her childhood instrument there. So she okay. grabbed the instrument on the way she escaped to Austria. She's in a countryside even now. So I actually gave her two of my students. I gave her two because I think she needs it more than me now. Yeah. Uh, and she has an opportunity to practice. Uh, but mm. yeah. Wonderful that you thought of that and helping her. But um, now, Bogdan, tell me what is your wish for the future? that, you know, my wishes are coming true every day, currently. I'm I think most of, most, most of the world, most of, you know, I, own, I was looking for a job for a year and a half, last year and a half. I am not employed. 
I have a home that I'm, I, I love Vienna. I'm very happy here. I'm between my two worlds, between Galicia and Ukraine and between the US. But most importantly, uh, nobody dares ask me anymore on a daily basis, but you're Russian, right? Or you speak the same language. No, so it, it sounds silly and it's very painful that it took so many thousands of deaths again, but we are for the first time in history widely seen as a subject, uh, as a subject of history, of culture. People see that we are very distinct from Russians. And it sounds silly saying this in the 21st century. It would have sounded even more silly saying this three, four months ago, but it's part of my identity and it was being denied until then. And also now with the music, you know, I'm getting phone calls every three, four days asking me to perform. Uh, that's making me happy that there's a, there's a desire to learn about Ukrainian music, about Ukrainian culture and so Yeah. Yeah, I th I think it's uh, also I I agree with you. It's very tragic what happened, but I think it has opened uh, the world's eyes to your beautiful culture, and the very brave people that uh, come from the Ukraine, and that you have a leader that uh, is uh, you know such a strong character that stands with these people, and I think there's much that uh, we will take down in history. Um, in spite of the sadness, but there will be very positive messages coming from the Ukraine, I think, uh, for the future. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a nice note <laughs> uh, yeah. to, to round it up. And that's the thing that, no, I'm getting goosebumps now. Okay. Because um, I think there's no Ukrainian who did not have a tragic history back in his grandparents' life or so, you know, the famines, the, the the pure destruction of everything Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. And the first thing people tell me uh, when they see me um, is, you are so brave. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you know, it's just people laying themselves underneath the tanks. It's the people who are persisting, you know, the grandmother who, who poisoned eight soldiers who invaded her house. It's the woman who, who uh, dropped down a drone with a bottle of pickles. Um, and her balcony, she, you know, um, that's that's a Ukrainian spirit, which is why it's so hard to govern the country in peaceful times. Okay. <laughs> but the, it's, it's the truth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> what can you say? That comes to your advantage now, or you know, that spirit. It's it's yeah. to your advantage. I think it's I think it's lovely that you as a young man, you know, that you're so proud of this instrument and that you pushed through and and played it and wanting to play it and that you looked at the statue and said, this is my dream. I want to play such an instrument, uh, even though it was not a popular thing to do. I think there's uh, I think that's great. I, I really admire you for that. Um, and I wish that I could, uh, you know, that you could have much success as a musician with this instrument. Thank you. I, I'm positive of it. That's going to come. Yeah. Yeah. So. But now I want to ask you just the last question. You, you say you live in Vienna now. So do you have a favorite restaurant or a coffee shop here in Vienna that you can name? You know, um, yes. I'll, I'll name Karl Ludwig. 
in the Favoritenstrasse. It's a cafe that opened up exactly the month my postgraduate studies at the Diplomatic Academy started. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, I did several performances there. Uh, and it's just such a warming place, you know. And the restaurants at the moment, I, I, I wouldn't be able to name you one because during Corona, I started cooking for myself that I think that I cook better than half the restaurants. Oh, okay. Like, well, I mean, it sounds arrogant, but, uh, I, I, you know, cooking for me and food is something very intimate. Mm. When I eat at a restaurant, uh, it's not as intimate for me. But on the other hand, uh, coffee is something that goes around and is shared. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it's this it's part of this whole atmosphere when you when you drink coffee somewhere i agree with you yeah. totally yeah Bogdan, thank you so much for this lovely inspiring interview and um, i wish you all the success with your instrument and uh, i will be following and seeing what you are doing because i really find it very interesting gladly I'll send, I'll send a CD uh, and some information your way if you'd like. Oh, that would be so great. Thank you so much. And let me gladly. know when you do a concert again here in Vienna. Very gladly. Okay. Have a lovely evening and thank you so much you for too. your time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.